Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hey, creatives. Before we get started today with this wonderful interview, I want to mention that our spring craft fairs are now collecting applications for vendors, right? So that's Oakland, as usual, May 7th, Oakland Scottish Rite, and Salem, Massachusetts, May 22nd. So this is at Old Town Hall and Derby Square. So we're really excited to come to Salem, Massachusetts, my new town. So we're looking for people in the area to come vend. You can start applying now. And we're very excited. We're looking for femme forward makers, but also if you're a service-based business who wants to participate in our craft fair, if you've been to our craft fairs, you know that they are full of magic and good vibes and amazing small businesses. And it's a good time as both a vendor and an attendee. We want to make our booth fees affordable and we're really excited. So if you're ready to come vend with us, you can go ahead and apply girlgangcraft.com slash apply dash Oakland or apply dash Salem, or you can just go on to girlgangcraft.com slash events and you can find more info there. Really excited to be in Salem, Massachusetts. Really excited to be back in person period for a spring craft fair. So seriously can't wait. And we're inviting you to come vent. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. Super excited today because we have Anna Lee with us and she is one of the founders of Lioness. If you've been on TikTok, you may have seen her. She is all about the TikTok going into Odata, which we'll talk about in a second. And Lioness actually did one of our first GGC events in Oakland. She was also on one of our panels on our digital small biz summit in 2021 and just excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do? Yeah. So I'm the co-founder and head of engineering of Linus. We are a sexual wellness startup and we built the first and only smart biofeedback vibrator that helps you learn about your body through biofeedback data. So what we're measuring specifically is pelvic floor movements, how it involuntarily squeezes or relaxes, which is one of the best indicators for arousal and orgasm. So cool. And how on earth did you get into this, you know, into this company, into this business? That's it. Honestly, over the past seven, so we've been around for about seven years now, and I try to think of what the best story that kind of like connects the dots and being like, yeah, it was totally obvious that we built this company. But really, for me, I grew up in Korea till I was six, and then I moved to the US. But I always tell people like, I grew up in a super traditional Korean family, very strict, like we didn't talk about sex at all. And I was actually scared of my body well into like, my 23, 24. And I was 
like didn't want to talk about, you know, like even having a hard time talking to partners about communication and things like that. And it was really, so I actually was a mechanical engineer working at Amazon, building like Kindles and the dash button and things like that. And I really did it in the thought of like the pursuing of the American dream. Like my parents moved from Korea to the US with this idea that they're going to give their children better opportunities here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to work in a corporate America for the rest of my life. And it's going to be this perfect story that people want or dream of. And so I just remember one day I was like sitting in my cubicle and I was like, I don't know if I'm what I'm doing. I feel super passionate about. And I ended up meeting around the time a founder of a different sex toy company. It doesn't exist anymore. It hasn't for many, many years, which makes me feel better about telling the story. But it was a cisgender guy. And I was like, how do you know what you're building works for people with vaginas? Like, how do you know your product is a good product? And he was like, there is this industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose and that's what a clitoris feels like. And I remember just being like, (laughs) oh, like, I just remember having this moment of, I can't believe something that's so intimately built for people that have a lot of like, you know, different things, how feelings towards it is built in this way. And I remember going to my first sex toy convention and seeing like, very commonly, they'll be like, hey, put the vibration on your nose or the skin between your thumb and pointer finger. And you know, like, it's going to be what it feels like on your clitoris, because it's like the same amount of nerve endings, which is also not true. But I just remember being like, man, this is a super male dominated industry. And I was really surprised by that. And I just remember being like, I want to build a better vibrator. And then I ended up meeting my who are my two co founders now, and they were working on an AI vibrator at the time. And I was like, Hey, let me help build it. Like I, my background's in mechanical engineering. Like I know how to like build things, manufacture things. And then, so we just kept iterating on this idea. And one of the biggest things we realized is that people don't know a lot about their sexual wellness because especially for women and people with vaginas, there's such limited research around it. And so the biggest thing we were like, we should get data out there to help people understand what works for their body, what doesn't on your own terms in your own home, because at least that gives you a baseline of understanding your own body in that way. And so that's kind of how Lion has started and where we are, I think, seven years later. So exciting. And I'm really so excited to talk to you about because, I mean, for so many reasons, a little background about me too. I don't know if all the listeners know this, but I used to have a radio show at Santa Cruz at 3am called late night lust. And so I sort of got into like the sex positive world and started interviewing sex therapists and all sorts of sort of varieties of sex therapists, basically, or people who are just really sex positive and wanted to really demystify the female orgasm, or do you mystify just talking about sex in general? And Mm so it's really exciting to talk to you because I know that you've been working on this demystification in such a fun, like accessible, like full of humor way. That's really exciting. And I know, you know, I mean, me personally too, like sex is complicated. It's complicated to talk about, even if you're comfortable in so many other aspects of your life, or even if you're really comfortable with your partner, it's still really hard to ask for what you want. And, -hmm. you know, that's all wrapped up in like the patriarchy and taking up space and all sorts of things. So it's really just great that you are tackling this thing on like head first. And I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you. Honestly, for me too, I always tell people this, like, I'm not coming into this being like, I knew everything about sex, or I know everything, like, I'm going to educate you on everything. Like, for me, it's more on the perspective of like, man, I'm taking this journey of myself, like, 
understanding my body and like discovering like things I've learned about this world. And I like realize that it's almost a privilege that I get to do all of that because not everyone gets the time to, you know, like think about sex or why does my body function like this? So I always think of it more like, I'm just trying to tell people where I am on my journey, what I've learned. And, you know, it's always changing, but at least the best I can do is like relay that information and hopefully correct myself if I ever get it wrong. But also, yeah, just being like, hey, I tried a cup of coffee and it made my orgasm so much better. And I had no idea, like, that's not even a thing that I would have realized unless I took the time to do that. So yeah, it's been so fun. I feel very lucky to be in this space. And because it was especially so unexpected, like, I definitely wasn't ever in my life expecting that I was going to be in the sex, sex tech space in any shape or form. So yeah. But it's so exciting because you're leading by examples. So maybe you're not saying I know everything, but you're saying, listen, I'm on this journey and you could also be on this journey. And we also have this tool that could help you on this journey. So, I mean, that's just so cool. And I love the coffee and alcohol experiments because <laughs> you're really taking on like the scientific, you know, journey to figure out what's working for you. And maybe that doesn't work for everyone else, but like maybe encouraging them to try what their orgasm is with, you know, little sleep or too much sleep or coffee or alcohol, you know, good mood versus bad mood. So, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I want to back up a little bit and like the sex tech industry. I mean, you really just said that, is there a sex tech industry or did you really sort of create that space? And I guess, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, so it's so interesting because when we first started our company like seven years ago, the term sex tech didn't exist yet. Like we were in a sex toy company and some people would have categorized us in like a pornographic industry. When we try to open our first business bank account, a lot of banks were like, this is adult content, it's pornographic, we can't work with you. So a lot of times I think a lot of, especially in the startup industry, especially starting it in Silicon Valley, there was a lot of hesitancy of like, oh, this, you know, sex toys don't do well, people don't buy sex toys, or a lot of times investors, when they tend to be men, they'd be like, my wife doesn't use a sex toy. And then you're like, okay, thank you for that information. Like, what does that have? Like, it's just such an, it was so interesting when we first started, but are they getting off then? <laughs> I know. I always like in my head was like, well, she's probably doing it now because like yeah. she just doesn't tell you about it. You know, like I could have brought up research papers being like, hey, did you know, like heterosexual relationships, they're like the least likely to tell their partner, like, all this stuff. But so I think when we first started, it was definitely determined to exist, but it definitely is a term now. And, you know, even in the like world of investments and all of that, it is an industry that is very specific within, usually it's a uh, subsetted inside femtech. So the industry exists. I think there are a good amount of companies in it. It's sex tech is really anything kind of to do with, I think, sexual wellness, sexual pleasure. So not even having to be hardware devices, you know, there's other companies that are doing like audio erotica or like things like that. I would think they still be categorized as sex tech. There is a shift and it's really cool to see it being so much more diversely run or like dominated. It's a lot of women or people with vulvas, like all of these different people coming into the space. Cause I think the biggest surprise to a lot of people is like the sex toy industry historically has been extremely male dominated people are like there's no way and you're like trust me like so yeah so sex tech doesn't exist now as like a real space and I think like you'll start seeing like those reports they do like those yearly or annual reports of different industries like it tends to be there in the report which is nice to see and then so we're slowly seeing that shift 
That's so cool. So what was it like when that space didn't exist? And, you know, because I assume you had to pull in some investors and get some capital because you're manufacturing this thing that's pretty expensive to make. So can you talk us through a little bit of that process? Yeah, you know, I think I always laugh and my co-founders and I always joke, like we probably chose the hardest path of being like, we were one first time entrepreneurs and we technically still are. And the company is women led and our team is mostly women, including all the technical team. And then on top of that, it's hardware, which is hardware is a extremely unsexy space to be in for a lot of investors. They're like, there's so much upfront capital. And then we're also on the tail end of like crowdfunding being like a huge, huge thing. Like it was a little bit past its prime at that point. And so it was just a lot of factors against us. It was definitely, but I think I almost want to say because we weren't coming from the industry and also we were so, and we still are so passionate about what we were building. We were just like, oh, whatever, like, let's just figure it out. And people saying, no, like, let's just keep trying at it. And I think our, I would say like Liz, James and I are all very, a little bit cheeky. Like we tend to have fun with things, especially when we get told no. I think it's what's kept us alive all these years is like, we won't take a lot of things personally. of just being like, well, it's the industry we chose. Like, but it also gave us more like playroom because there wasn't an established way to like build a company around this space. So we got to try so many different things, be really creative with marketing, all sorts of different things. So I think the biggest lesson I think about in terms of like, you know, a lot of people ask about fundraising is that we did raise our, I think what we would call a pre-seed at that time to kind of build our product. And the biggest important thing for us was you really can't compare your journey to other trajectories of other small businesses, right? Like a lot of people would be like, well, this startup, you know, raised $10 million for their first round. And like now they're actually, you know, like all these things. But for us, we realized like it wasn't about like, name brand VCs, like all those things that Silicon Valley really looks for, like what we found the best success was like, making connections to like the beautiful weirdos dreamers in this space where like, I can think outside the box, like I can see where this is going, or just understanding what we're building is so much beyond, you know, building the next whatever, it was just a completely new path. And so we really had success once we started gearing towards that. So we had some amazing investors who are super like they're passionate about what we're doing and they just understand it in a different perspective that I think a lot of people would have said, you know, and have said no to in the past. That's so cool. And I like what you're saying too about, I mean, it's so easy in San Francisco to compare yourself to all the money and all the tech. That's yes. There. You know, you're your own industry and you really carved out a niche for yourself. So like you can't look at those other things. And I think that's really important. So thank you for sharing that. So, okay. So you got seed money and you launched this product. What was sort of like the beginning stages? How did that play out for you? Oh, like you're talking about just as we launched our product and all yeah, of that. T- tell us about like how it went as an entrepreneur and maybe how it was received. That's a good question. So it's interesting. So we launched our first product, I think about four years ago now. So basically the first three years, we were developing the product, doing the engineering, doing the prototypes, doing user testing and all of those things. So I feel like when we first started the company, we were so like heavy, hands-on, hyper-focused on how do we even get this product out? And we did do a crowdfunding. We did Indiegogo and it was a really good proof point for us. Like we succeeded in the first 48 hours and then getting oversubscribed and just like really, really great traction. So, and then it became, okay, now we have to like 
actually ship these products and get it out there. And so I think we are so heavily focused on launching the product that once we launched it, it was so much of like, it was the next journey of being founders because we weren't thinking really of like, okay, well, now what's the strategy? Okay, well, people are buying it more than we expected, like all these things. So like, where do we go from here? Like, do we keep with, you know, in the sex toy, like retailers, or do we try to expand out beyond that? Like, what is, you know, and then really going into like the marketing side, realizing like Facebook won't let us do advertisements, Instagram won't let us do advertisements, which is like the very traditional path of consumer products going into market. And so all of these things, all of a sudden, I think are shift in mentality of okay like now our product is here it's out there what do we do and so I think that was a big growing point for us of just understanding how to be founders in this space and beyond now just being like okay we're building this product and I was constantly going to China and like you know just working with the manufacturing facility there and all of these things so I think it was a really cool shift because I remember distinctly the first products coming off the line and being like I cannot believe like we actually got to this point and getting these products on the, you know, out the door and we've done most of it in-house, like it's such a surreal feeling of, okay, like we did it. And now I was like, I think that's when I felt like a real entrepreneur because before it was just so heads in and like trying to get the product developed. But now we are like, okay, we have the product, like where do we go from here? So it was definitely like a crazy time in a way, like the pre-orders were really helpful because we didn't ever have a time to be like, pause, we were just, okay, like get these out the door, like, and then start getting those feedback in, like, what do people think? Okay, like, how do we get more stuff out there? So I think it just continually felt like, okay, what's the next steps? What's the next step? So it was a really cool feeling. I think that was like, probably the first big learning lesson and like transition into being an entrepreneur. And so, okay, are you guys just direct to consumer? Or do you do retail also? So we do some retail, but we're almost completely direct to consumer. And that was, for us, it was hard. It was difficult because our product, like it's such a different product compared to everything out there. So you can't ever be like, you know, we're like, I don't know, like mattresses, for example, you're like, you can't be like, we're Casper mattress, but better like, or things like that. Right. And so we're like in this totally different space. So it was really hard to place ourselves into retail where the retailers could be like, here's the entire explanation of what their brand does. So we really tried to focus on building the brand and the best way for us to do that was to just be very direct to consumer. And so if you can't do ads on Facebook and Instagram, what was sort of your organic marketing plan? How did you, you know, get the word out about Lioness to the people? Man, I think about this all the time because that is a common question. And we do have like a good amount of organic traffic that comes through our site and like all these and like, how did we end up doing it? We tried all sorts of really funny approaches to it. Like, I remember when Facebook was like, oh, you can't do ads. We tried actually just making a YouTube channel where we were reading people's reviews of the product. And then we made that an ad. And for a little bit, it worked. I mean, the conversion is terrible because you're going to YouTube then to like a website, like it just it doesn't convert. But we we're like, okay, what are the different ways? And then Facebook eventually figured out that it still went to us like a vibrator company. So they like, they shut it down. But I think for us, some of the biggest things has been just the founders being very forward in the company. And that's like, a you know, for brands, it depends like whether the founders are really like brand forward and you're kind of in the head, like the front. But for us, that was something that was really important because we wanted it to feel relatable as possible and that we're not like sex experts. We're not gurus. We're just like, hey, we 
also have struggled through this, like almost all came from like really conservative families, like really just strict family households where we didn't get to talk about sex very much. So we we're like, this is like us just trying to figure it out. So we did a lot of talks. We've done a lot of panels. We've tried a lot of live, like Instagram lives, just all sorts of things to have people connect to us and also just learn about the questions they had. And so that was like a big, I think, entry point. And then definitely getting press out there. The kind of beauty of sex tech, although very taboo, it's an interesting piece for a lot of people to want to cover because they're like, oh, it's like a sex toy company, like so interesting. So we definitely took that to our advantage to continue getting press out there. And then some of the big, I think the other biggest one was previously just, we write a ton of articles, like so many help articles that don't even have to do specifically with the lioness. It's literally like, people looking for whether it's 101 or like the 202 of sex, like we write about it. We write like even articles that, you know, are like, I wrote one that was like best anal lubricants, which has really nothing to specifically do with Linus, but it's, we're here to like be a hub to help people. So that was really helpful. And then as of recent, it's just, well, if, you know, social media doesn't let us do ads, let's just build our own communities on these accounts. So very recently, as of like last year, for me, I've been doing a lot of TikTok, which has been extremely helpful to just like reach a further audience that I don't think we would have reached otherwise. So it's been really cool to see communities coming together in that way. Super cool. Okay. I want to circle back to the no Facebook ads thing. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because I know a lot of our community... We don't have a lot of people in the sex tech industry, but we have a lot of people in the CBD cannabis industry in our community. Mm -hmm. And those are Mm -hmm. also not allowed. I mean, I remember I was trying to promote our little uterus pen and that was getting flagged and like, Mm -hmm. it's literally (laughs) what, you know, and it's like, you know, it's a, has a little diamond and it's like harmless. So like Facebook, what is up with these rules? Do you have any insight on that? You know, the biggest way I could say this is the culture just moves faster than policies can. And I think historically, also just in especially US culture, it's such a taboo topic. A lot of it tying back to, you know, like religious beliefs and things like that, which is, you know, one thing, but I think it's just not moved policies to be better for especially people with vaginas, in my opinion, which is why we keep getting the controversies of, for example, the New York subway trains doing ads for erectile dysfunction, but they're not allowing a different sex toy company to do their ads, even though their products don't look phallic at all, or for consumer electronic shows where they have, you know, for example, booth babes, quote unquote, what they call booth babes or VR porn companies. But when it comes to the sex toys that have high technology, that's also not allowed, which is now shifted. But it's I think we're on the cusp of it can't be ignored anymore. It's a constant conversation people are having. I just came across a Facebook ad of the new show about love, sex and goop, I think on Netflix be an ad and then also like female sexual dysfunction. So like a quote unquote, female Viagra, I saw those ads come through. So I'm like, interesting, like really interesting what they're picking and choosing for what's allowed us ads. So I think about this a lot. I think it's a matter of all the companies coming together and moving that policy forward of being like, hey, like, let's really investigate in what you're saying is causing unsafe content for underage people. Like, so like, what is it? What are the effects and get some experts like sociologists, like, psychologists, like all of these people that can help you make those correct decisions versus just being like, oh my God, sex is so scary. Don't do it. So 
It's is this on your agenda? Battle. Is this what you're going to do? <laughs> you know what? I've been saying this on as many podcasts as possible because I'm slowly like <laughs> being like, hey, like maybe someone from Facebook's listening, maybe someone from Instagram, TikTok. I don't Together. know. But <laughs> but yeah, I do think the intentions mean well, but sometimes a lot of times when policies are for specifically a very specific substance, let's say, yeah, like say something specific, sex toys and sex tech tends to just get looped into it because it's like, oh, well, that also encompasses it. So it's definitely a tough space because you're trying to distinguish it and being like, well, let's actually find what the fine lines of, you know, harmful content versus helpful content is. So that's a tough one, honestly. (laughs) Be honest. Are you avoiding your business finances? Tax season is upon us, and that means it's high time to get a solid grip on your financial planning. We are not tax experts here at GGC, but we do know someone who is. Enter the one and only Money Witch with her business coven course, which covers all things taxes, bookkeeping, biz structure, and more. So the fact is, you've got to organize your money to make more of it, period. Now is the time to look at your money and know what is happening so you can move forward. Not to mention, like, fill out your profit and loss statement and, like, turn in your taxes. You need to keep track of your business expenses. It's so important, and that goes into how you pay your taxes. So as Money Witch says herself, you can create structure in your business without compromising your values. So check out the course, Business Babes. You can enroll now and take the class on your own time and at your own pace. So head to bit.ly slash ggc times money, which GGC is capitalized. The M and money, which is capitalized or check out our show notes to learn more. You can just click right on the link. Good luck, babes. So I want to sort of sum up what you said before, when we talked about what sort of organic ways that you were reaching mm. your customers. So you were saying talks like Instagram lives and podcasts like this and summits, social, obviously PR writing your own articles, super good for SEO, super good for becoming an expert in the space that you want to be in. So that's really great advice. And then your TikToks. And I would love to dive a little bit into your TikToks because I mean, you know, I watched you grow on TikTok (laughs) and found, you know, your videos and they're just, they're just great. They're hilarious and really informative and really personable. And I know a lot of our community is sort of like not wanting to do the TikTok thing. <laughs> and maybe when this time this podcast premieres, like everyone will be more on the TikTok train. But I, you know, I've received a lot of pushback from our community about mm-hmm. reels and TikToks and like not wanting to do it. And, you know, just not liking the change because we all got used to Instagram being a certain way. Mm-hmm. We all grew up on Instagram or in our adult life. And then this new thing comes along and now we have to do videos. So how did you sort of convince yourself to get started on TikTok? What was that like? You know, I'm going to be very honest. The pandemic was one of those times where we were all stuck at home, right? So I was like on TikTok just genuinely for fun, just not posting videos, but just watching content. And I've always been kind of a short content consumer. My two co-founders laugh at me all the time because they'll send a YouTube video. And if it's longer than two minutes, I have not watched it. Or I skipped like 90% of it. I've always been kind of a short content consumer in the first place. And so for me, TikTok made sense because I thought it was so cool that like 
funniness or like being informative in such a short time was really valued because I was like that is so cool like you're seeing really fun people up and coming and I was like excited as like an older I think like in my as a millennial like seeing Gen Z just being so incredibly creative I was like amazed I was like on the opposite because you know some people are like I hate TikTok I was like oh my god that is so cool so many people are doing such cool things so really for me it ended up just being I saw a video that was like, oh, what did you study and what do you do for a living now? And I was just like, oh, I do something interesting because I was an engineer and now I make sex toys. So I posted that right before I went to the office. And then I didn't even think about, you know, what that meant or I had all my notifications off. And then I remember I only knew because I was on Instagram and then I was starting to get just, you know, people following me or like liking my stuff. And I was like, what is going on? And I couldn't figure out where it was. And I was like, oh my God, maybe it's TikTok. And then that was the first video that went viral, which was, I don't know if this is a true thing, but I always tell people, because when people are like, how do I start on TikTok? I always think the first like three videos, I think in the algorithm, they try to boost it more because they want you to start creating content and they want to help you kind of encourage it. So I don't know if that has to do with anything, but for me, if that was, that, that is the thing, it's very smart because it hooked me because I was like, oh my God, so many people that have never heard of Linus are hearing about Linus and super interested in what we're doing. And so it was just a nice way for me, like it did come out of genuineness of me just liking that platform and then being like, oh, I know how to create, I want to create stuff on here. Like for example, for me, Instagram is really hard for me to like sit there and want to take a nice photo or like, I don't know if anyone sees my Instagram, it, it looks not as that it's like all the things you're not supposed to do on Instagram is pretty much what my Instagram looks like because it just wasn't like something that I a hundred percent understood ever versus TikTok you're not running like, you're not running lioness Instagram I'm not running that account but we have to currently have an amazing consultant and like intern that's doing that and she's there she's awesome so but yeah you know we do put all input into the lioness content but yeah, so for my personal Instagram, it looks like a mess. I'm not talking, our Linus account, I love it. But so yeah, for TikTok, it was kind of out of genuineness and just me being like, I just realized like so many people were asking questions. I think I ended up building a community where people were like, hey, I have a question about this. And like, I'm starting to seeing like what kind of questions people were interested in me answering. And so I started kind of getting into this full like, okay, like, let me try and experiment to share it with you guys. Like, I just want people to feel like, this could be a really normal like information that doesn't have to feel super hypersexual or like, oh, I feel uncomfortable. So with that said, TikTok, I think generally hates what I do. I actually am on my last, what is it? Warning? Like if I get one more strike, I'm actually technically banned on TikTok, which is going to also be a whole fun thing. Cause, but to me, it's like, man, I'm putting educational content out there, but it's always a fine line. TikTok is very, very strict with that kind of stuff. But yeah, in the meantime, as we were building it, I think I really believe TikTok, if people start it, one, you either just genuinely need to like it and just being like, oh, what's funny? Or if you're just funny, I like really lean into that. Or if you don't like have the, I don't know, if you can't be funny all the time, which is kind of me, like, I think it's just to be informational. If you can provide something that people want to learn more about, like that is the best. I always tell people because they're like, oh, like I can't keep up with the trends. And I'm always like, well, don't keep up with the trends. I don't like just put out informational content that people want to learn from you. Like you're offering something that you're knowledgeable in, which is super helpful for people. So I always tell most people to like lean into that more. Yeah, I think it's too stressful to be like, 
what's Gen Z's trend now? What are they listening to? Like all of that stuff. That sounds yeah. very stressful for me too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So do you have a strategy behind your TikTok or do you let it sort of like be inspired in that moment and you just do a video or are you doing any batching? Mm, honestly, I should be better about it. I think for the amount of engagement we're currently getting, I definitely should have a better strategy, but I almost want to say it's a little bit of a good thing as well, because I did start it on my own personal account. So there's almost a genuineness, I think. So for me, it's really like, oh, I have this idea and I want to post it. It takes me like, I only post maybe once every two, three weeks, which is so not what you're supposed to do on TikTok either. But I'm hoping what people are getting is a genuineness that they connect with, like something that's literally on my mind that day or that week. And then me putting out content that I actually genuinely want to put out. So I think there's some niceness about it in that way. Like people, I hope people feel like they kind of get to know me more or like my personality more and things like that. So the coolest thing that I've actually seen is even though it's not our company's account, like someone in the comments will be like, wait, what product is she using? Because I'm also trying really hard not to be like, you know, this is a Linus, buy a Linus, like I'm working on Linus, like all of these things. But then some person, another person who's been following me for a while will comment underneath being like, oh, she built it. Like she's the engineer behind it. She's making Linus. Her, the link is in the bio. Like someone else is really advocating for me, which is so incredible to see that on the TikTok community. So I think I'm hoping in one, my a little bit of like, that it takes me a while to make a video. It also just kind of, I think, hopefully shows like I'm really hoping to just get information about sex and all things like people have questions about content on there versus like me really just trying to push our like product. So I think that's really helpful. I think that's what makes TikTok a little bit different than Instagram as well is that it's less like company based or like focused to push product versus like just fun consuming content kind of aspect. So Yes, I would say I'm probably the worst person to ask like what proper strategy should you have? But if the only thing I can offer is like, I think genuineness is really important on TikTok. Like people just want to see like, and I think that's why you don't have to have high production value or any of that. I'm literally on my front facing camera of my shattered phone, like holding it by my laptop being like, okay, like, and then re-recording something because I couldn't say it fast enough and I ran out of time or something. So Yeah, that's like really what I can offer is I think just something that's like more down to earth is always kind of helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think you had a lot of advice in there. So (laughs) being genuine and giving education, I mean, exactly to like not being so, I mean, I don't like to use the like anti-salesy because I think, I don't know, I think that's like also patriarchal, but like, I think that's true. Yeah. (laughs) But I think like you explaining and educating is going to lead to sales. And do you find that it converts? Are you guys tracking directly from TikTok? Yeah. So I would honestly say our conversions have been extremely good via TikTok and just the amount of people coming to our site because they saw it on TikTok it's been really, really cool to see. So yeah, I'm always like, I feel like small business and companies can't knock TikTok because you just get a brand new group of viewers that you maybe would have never gotten before who are just, you know, all different walks of life. Like, for example, if I did a panel, like an in-person panel in San Francisco, that's very different community than if you're just on a virtual thing platform where you're kind of just being able to reach as many people as possible. So Yeah. So the conversions have been actually pretty fantastic, which is also why I'm like, 
I'm going to be a little sad if my account does go down or whatever in the future, but I guess I can always rebuild or start new or I don't know. We need to go against the Facebooks and the TikToks of the I world and they're banning. <laughs> Sign me up. Let me know when you need help with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll start a movement. <laughs> but okay, so great TikTok advice. I think that's awesome. I want to change gears a little bit and talk about like OData and what that means and how just, yeah, give us your spiel. Tell us what OData is. Yes. So there's different ways to track an orgasm in the field of science research. There's like heart increasing, like sweat, serotonin levels, like all sorts of different things, but that's not really helpful for a lot of people at home because you're not like, okay, is your heart rate increasing or is your serotonin levels going up? And so one of the best ways to indicate arousal and orgasm is actually involuntary pelvic floor movements. So for example, how your vagina or anal muscles squeeze and relax during an orgasm, there's a unique pattern that happens. So what we're doing is basically using sensors that are measuring how your pelvic floor movements are squeezing and relaxing. So you use the lioness vibrator completely like normal, but you can pair it to your phone afterwards and you actually get a chart. And so whether you had an orgasm or not in it, you'll see a chart with your pelvic floor movements. And typically during the orgasm, you'll see a really unique, different like pattern that happens versus the rest of your session or during high arousal points. So we actually separated it currently into three different types that we've seen people have the ocean wave avalanche and volcano. And those are just named versus like how your pelvic floor movements are squeezing and relaxing. So for example, the ocean wave is a really rhythmic pelvic floor movement. So you're squeezing and relaxing at the same force. So in the graph, you look like a little wave when it's also my, it's my pattern. And it's actually the most common pattern we've seen people have. And then avalanche is similar to an ocean wave where you're squeezing and relaxing, but it starts higher in force. And then it goes down in force over time. So you see kind of a trickle down and then your volcano type, which is your very classic, how they describe it in movies, there's a huge explosion of force and then a quick drop in force. So less of a rhythmic movement that's happening, but you see kind of a huge spike in their graph. And so we always tell people like, if you're able to have an orgasm or you can see that the best way to really have fun with it is to like track what that looks like and then try different factors or, you know, starting to track things like I've been only getting four hours of sleep or I've changed my medication or We've had an athlete who had a concussion and she actually saw changes in her orgasm data, like after the concussion. And then once she was getting physical therapy for it, like you're seeing like, so the whole idea is like, just as you would track things like sleeping, fitness, all of those things. And you're trying to figure out how your body works. We are encouraging people to also take that time to figure out what makes you excited. What makes you less excited? What makes you have better orgasms? What makes you less and having tools of experimenting and also for communication. That's so cool. I love the idea of tracking too, because then you can, you know, see exactly if your medication is, you know, Mm -hmm. finishing your orgasm or, you know, your food or whatever. I think that's really cool. And then the idea of like improving it too, I think is a fun challenge. So that's cool. So, so in the app, can you also track other things or how do people really track along with sort of the other variables? Mm. So the best way we kind of describe our app is we call it like a sex journal. So for example, a lot of sex therapy or sex educators, one of the best ways to really understand or improve your like sexual pleasure is they usually recommend keeping a sex journal. So like aside from an app existing, you would be like, okay, like I had sex 
earlier, like, this is how it felt. This is what worked for me. This is the stuff that didn't work for me. Or, you know, like the last time you masturbated, like kind of reflect on what that looks like. And I don't know about most people, but I will guarantee like, I am not a person who's going to masturbate and then sit there being like, okay, you know, like most people like move on with their day and I'm not sitting there being like, okay, what felt really good about it? What time of the day it was? So the app really is to kind of make that barrier a little bit less. So one, there's biofeedback data, but once you have that data uploaded, it kind of gives you the chance to be like, there's a section where you can add tags and then you can add notes as well. You can do star ratings. So you can be like, hey, this one was a five star. This one, like it was in the morning time because I usually will masturbate at nighttime and you get to start kind of tracking those things. So we always say like the first three sessions that you have online is it's going to a little bit feel like a ink blot test where you're like, I'm not sure what I'm looking at. Like, just kind of like all there. But the more you use it, you start being like, oh, there's like, this one definitely looks different than what my typical normal thing looks like. And then if you have tags and notes on there, you're like, oh, I wonder if that has to do with something. And you start kind of being your own scientist where you get to correlate different things. Definitely, we're going to come out with more things that help guide people or kind of give people examples of things to try and all of that. But right now, it's very much like be curious about your own body, be a scientist, like put your notes in there, put tags, hopefully we can connect it to different apps and all of that to help you track all the different things that could be factors in your sexual pleasure and arousal, because it is absolutely interconnected to your overall well being. Definitely like your overall health and wellness is all interconnected to your sexual wellness and pleasure and health. So hopefully in the future, as we keep moving and rolling out different features. Can I ask what is the like most exciting thing that you learned about yourself in this mm. process? Ooh, you know, I think for me, uh, the coffee one, I say a lot, but as you're saying, the CBD and THC communities here also, that is one of my favorite communities because we commiserate together a lot because yes, they have the same restrictions that I think a lot of us battle through. So it's always really fun to collaborate because we're all like kind of in the same space of how do we get our, the word out there? But I swear by this and as I'm always like, man, I should get it. I should be sponsored because I like swear by it. But THC lubricant, if anyone is open to using THC in some way, there's lubricants that you can buy at dispensaries. There's like, I think Foria still carries theirs, Quim Rock, which is a women owned one, Velvet Swing, which is also a women owned brand. Those are the three that are coming off the top of my head, but they have THC lubricants. Some are oil-based, some are water-based, but I swear by it. And I actually have data and I think it's just increases the pleasure. It kind of the best way to describe it is like it makes your vulva and vagina high, but you're not high, but your like vagina and vulva is high. And you just have so much more deeper sensations during an orgasm. So I always swear by it. I always show the data to be like, here's proof that I'm not even, I'm not just saying it like, here's the data of the pelvic floor movements that have happened. So yeah, I think that one's always the one people are like, text me later the same day being like, what were the brands? Like, where do I buy it? And so I'm a huge like, I think THC is definitely something really, even if you're just smoking or edibles or anything like that, like there's definitely an effect on my pleasure. And I'm always like, you ever want to try something? That's like the most interesting one to try in my opinion. It's so interesting. Cause like, maybe you would think that that would be the opposite of caffeine and mm. caffeine also improves. That's just interesting. It is. I would say like all my THC data is like much longer, like, and the orgasm itself is really long. It's like very deep and sensational versus coffee is like more of a short but intense situation. And like, I think that's what the data will show as well as like, it's a little shorter, it's a little more intense, but it's like a little bit quicker, I guess, just as 
caffeine, you would expect caffeine to work. But yeah. And then also to note, like the athlete that had a concussion, like seeing the data change that we just, that was something that we didn't expect at all. And then my co-founder was actually able to present it at a medical conference and just being like, Hey, there's so many factors that can affect sexual pleasure. And the more that doctors can be equipped to know about these things and their patients come and they're like, Hey, I'm having problems. Like, cause I've had the experience where you've gone, gone to the doctor and I'm like, Hey, like something's not right. Like, I'm not sure. And then they're like, Oh, you know, all bodies are super different or hormone. You never know, like your hormones might be affecting you or your IUD might be. And then like, they can never give you a concrete answer, which is so frustrating. So the hope is like this kind of information, the more we get out there, the more we partner with doctors and researchers, like it helps people just feel normal. Like we want people to feel really normal and validated in their experiences beyond just being like, oh, you know, women's bodies, like who knows what's happening. And that's such a horrible answer to get. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I love the, like the medical use of it. Cause obviously it's empowering, but it's also empowering to feel healthy and like have data backing it and, you know, figuring out again, the medication thing or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think that's cool. I think absolutely doctors need to know more about pleasure and sexual health. And I think they often, you know, brush. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of both of like, yeah, there's a taboo. There's also very little research. And then a lot of places they only do like, I think a few hours of training on sexual pleasure specifically. So it's all different factors, but yeah, I think we could definitely move towards a better understanding of female bodies, like all of these are just bodies in general that, and especially that has to do with pleasure. Absolutely. So, okay. What sort of pushback have you gotten from maybe your peers or your family or just people that you've Mm. met about you being a part of Linus and, you know, being an advocate for sexual pleasure and health? I think honestly, I would say like, we've pretty much surrounded ourselves with really good people that, you know, are amazing and have been supportive throughout our journey. Of course, you get the people that are one or like, I don't get why this exists or like, why does this product exist? People being like, do we need, I think when people are like, oh, it's a smart vibrator and that's where we leave it. People are like, does everything need to be smart now? Like, what is the point of all that? And all of this, you know, all these things, which are totally valid because a lot of times tech can be feel really evil or like scary. And I think we, our hope is to really try to being like, Hey, we're using technology for good. Or like, we're trying to help people understand their bodies and use it for research and all of that. But I think it's valid questions for my parents. You know, when I first started the company a year and a half, and then I quit my job at Amazon, I didn't even tell them because I was really scared of like what they were going to say or whether they were going to disown me or, you know, all these different fears. I've been really grateful that once I did tell my mom, like what I was working on and I was telling her, like, I was so scared of my body. And I'm really just trying to figure out for myself, like it's my own personal journey too. And so I remember her being like really quiet when I was telling her. And then she was like, Oh, you know, I used to own a vibrator when I was younger. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then for the next two hours, we talked about our sex lives. Like we talked about everything. Like she asked me when I lost her virginity and like, who was it too? Like, you know, and just giving each other sex advice, like all sorts of stuff that I one never have done ever again with my mom, but also just it was like so beautiful and disgusting all at the same time of like, my God, it's still my mom. But you know, like those are things that you don't always want to talk about. But I was so grateful that that she was able to open up and we had that conversation because it was someone that I never thought I would be able to do that with. So of course she's like, 
when are you going to get a real, you know, quote unquote, real job? Like, you know, when are you going to like progress in life or whatever? But she's been overall extremely like supportive and just, I think the biggest thing is like she accepts what I do, which has been really, really cool to see. But yeah, other than that, like, I think my friends, they are sometimes my brother, like, and my friends are better advocates than I am sometimes. Like, you know, we're at a bar, my, so my brother or my friend will be like, do you know what she does? Like she makes sex toys. Like you should talk to her about it. And so I'm always super grateful for people just really cheerleading me throughout this time. Cause I think, I mean, I think everyone can agree, like being an entrepreneur or running a small business is extremely unglamorous. A lot of times it's tough. Like, I think we have to say like, Oh, we're fine. We're doing great, but it's such a tough space to be in. And sometimes it feels a little like lonely. And so I think being surrounded by people that are going to keep pushing you and like when you are need that, I think it's super, super important. Well, Anna, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can our community find you? Yes. So you can find us on our website, Linus.io. All our social media is Linus Health, Twitter, Instagram. I think we're best on Instagram, to be honest. And my personal Instagram is Anna is average. And then my TikTok is Anna the average. I will eventually merge them together. I don't know why I've done this to myself. But yes, that's the best place to find us. And yes. Yay. And you have a discount code for us. I do. And it just says a small thank you. So the coupon GGC will get you 10% off of anything on our website, especially I think it's great for the holidays. And then we have some really cool kind of fun projects that we've worked on rolling out within the next couple of weeks or month or, you know, whenever this launches, but there's going to be some really cool stuff, I think for the holidays and all of that. So yes, GGC is your 10% off coupon. Yay. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. This is really fun. I appreciate you and everyone listening. So you've listened to this amazing episode and heard all about Linus from Anna. And if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, that you know that we at GGC take our rest, ease, and pleasure seriously. And so do our good friends at Linus. So obviously the mission of this badass woman-owned company is to provide access to knowledge of your own sexual pleasure on your own terms while destigmatizing the taboos around it. So Linus, as we know, is the first and only smart vibrator and app that lets you see and improve your orgasm so you can make them better. The vibrator's precision sensors help you see what factors impact your orgasm for better or for worse, stress, alcohol, sleep partners, and more. If you're just as stoked as we are about this amazing technology, use our code to get a discount on your first Linus vibrator. Use GGC for 10% off. Practice makes pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.